Beloved saints, the grass withers and the flower falls, but, but the word of our God abides forever. Let us give our attention to the reading of it. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius whose likeness and inscription does it have. They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able, in the presence of the people, to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. So ends the reading of our God's word. Let us ask his blessing on it, our time in it this morning. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to our feet. It is our guide in the dark, the wisdom and truth that we follow each day. Your word is sweeter than honey and yet sharper than swords. And it is healing and justice and ours to obey. Your word is our understanding of your grace and your love and your peace. These are the reasons why we draw near to it. And so we ask that you would speak, O Lord, to us through it. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been asked uh, a trap question? Um, These are those questions that are crafted so as to either leave you no room to escape or to make you look bad no matter how you answer it. You know, so questions like, have you stopped robbing banks yet? No matter how you answer, you're in trouble. Parents are the masters of trap questions. Uh, If all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump off as well? Or questions like this, what did your mother say when you asked her if it was a good idea to skip school? But parents aren't the only ones. Kids learn trap questions very early on, don't they? Who's your best friend? (laughs) We've all heard them. We've probably all asked them. And as Jesus' time on earth drew to a close, the leaders in Jerusalem began asking him trap questions. They were hoping to trip him up, to catch him in something so that they they could do away with him. We saw this a few weeks ago when they asked him by whose authority he cleansed the temple, thinking that they were the only possible ones who could give authority to cleanse the temple. We're going to see it again uh, when we come back to to Luke in a few weeks and, and look at Jesus' interaction with the Sadducees when they ask him about the resurrection. They try it with a trick question about seven brothers who all marry the same woman. We'll we'll get there. Today, the question, the trap, is about paying taxes. But that's not the real issue in our passage. That's just the trap they lay for him. And Jesus doesn't fall for it. He wants to talk about something much more important, the issue of allegiance. Allegiance. 
That is what matters to him. And he's going to say something like this, that because you are made in God's image, your allegiance rightly belongs to him and to no other. That's what we're going to see in our passage. That's the main point this morning. Uh, This is one of those passages that's talked about a lot. In fact, it's one of those passages that you can just quote a few words and everybody knows what you're talking about. You can, you know, somebody might say something like this, well, I really didn't want to, but you know, render to Caesar. And just with those words, this passage comes to mind and all that's going on there. No doubt you've heard it referenced a lot in the past couple years as, as we've talked about how do Christians, how does the church respond and wrestle with, uh, government mandates and, and, and things like that and, and, and the restrictions of, of state governors. We've talked about how it relates to mask mandates in the church in one of our Sunday school classes. We've wrestled with it. It's just one of those passages that God's people are going to have to wrestle with at least at one point in their life, probably multiple times, as they wrestle with and ask about the Christian's relationship to the state. But none of that is to say that, that Christians are unified exactly in how this passage applies. There are some who thinks that it teaches that no matter what the state says, that you have to submit to it, anything it says. Others try to find out just exactly what belongs to Caesar and what exactly belongs uh, to God and, and to hold those two very strictly. And so some would argue that there are very, very few things that the state uh, rightly has and that we should just ignore everything else. Uh, there are some who think that this passage forbids Christians to send their kids to public school. There are some who think that this passage uh, forbids churches from uh, filing articles of incorporation with the state for holding property and things like that. There is a lot of debate about this passage. And, and the temptation, the tendency, when it comes to this passage, is, is to focus solely on the roles of the church and the civil government, the state. And when that is done, it's often used to argue uh, with people who have different political convictions than you have. Big government, small government, this passage gets used in all of our political battles and we try to claim that God is on our side and supports our political party, our political movement. And if that's what you're looking for this morning, you're probably going to be let down. If you think that this passage is, is about controlling others and getting God to support your political agenda you're going to be very disappointed. This passage comes right on the heels of what we looked at last week uh, that ends with with, uh, the leaders in Jerusalem wanting to lay their hands on Jesus but holding off because they feared the people. Now, when it says lay hands on him, it's not talking about what we did with Pastor Isaac a few weeks ago. Uh, this isn't about ordination through prayer and the laying on the hands. This is about grabbing him and hurting him. In fact, we've been told that they wanted to destroy him. They want to kill him. This language sounds like, like what they would do on the Day of Atonement when they'd lay hands on, on the sacrificial animal uh, and, and, and they would punish it for all the sins of the people. They seem to want to blame all of Israel's problems on Jesus 
and think that if they could just get rid of him, all would be right. And knowing that they don't have the support of the people, they try to trap him. And so they send spies who pretend to be righteous. That's actually a better translation than sincere. They were pretending to be moral is really what it says. Concerned about God's laws. And this word pretend is the word from which we get hypocrite. Uh, But it's a verb, so it's like they were hypocrisy in righteousness. If you want a weird translation. They're pretending, they're feigning concern for God's laws. They're, They're trying to trap Jesus. That's their goal. But first they flatter him. Now, parents, you know what's coming. Anytime your kids say, Dad, you're the best. Put your hand on your wallet. They say, we know you always speak the truth. And that you would never compromise just to please people. Beware of someone who who flatters you before they ask a question. (laughs) They're setting a trap. So what is their trap? Well, they want to ask him a question that will get him in trouble no matter how he answers. Uh, they, they ask him about paying taxes to Caesar. Now, Matthew tells us that these spies were, were made up of two types of people, uh, the disciples of the Pharisees and Herodians. Uh, the Pharisees were the religious conservatives. To them, Rome was the enemy. Uh, paying taxes to them was, was like taking your hard-earned money and, and giving it to those who were mistreating you and your people. They hated it. And if Jesus says, yes, pay taxes, the Pharisees are, are banking on that making him very, very unpopular with the Jewish people. Now, the Herodians are the pro-government equivalent of big government progressives. That's who they are in this scenario. So you've got your conservatives and your progressives. They're coming together to battle Jesus. And they think uh, that if Jesus says, no, don't pay your taxes, the Pharisees who send them are, are confident those Herodians will go and report Jesus to the Roman officials for sedition against the government. Either way... They think they found the perfect trap. But notice the way they ask their question. Is it lawful? They're not asking about Roman law. They're not just asking Jesus, is this okay? But they're saying, can someone follow the one true God and still pay taxes to Rome? And they're thinking of the first commandment that that in God's providence was the reading of the law this morning. That that commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. Because the Roman coins, especially the denarius, which was most commonly used for paying taxes, had an, an inscription on it. And it said this, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. The divine Augustus. The very coin that they would use to pay taxes made a blasphemous statement about Caesar calling him divine, calling him a god. And the question is, how could any true believer honor such a blasphemous leader? Wasn't paying 
taxes with, with such a coin, the equivalent of worshiping a false god? Wasn't it a violation of the first commandment? Their question isn't simply about how popular it is, but what does God allow? What has God said? Now that question, has God really said, has been around for a long time. And it's one of those trap questions, isn't it? The first, the first one to ask that question was setting a trap, wasn't he? When Satan asked Eve, has God really said, he wasn't searching for truth. He was trying to lead her into rebellion. He was, we're told, crafty. More crafty than all the beasts of the field. And did you notice what Jesus recognized about his questioners? He recognized, verse 23, their craftiness. They weren't pursuing truth. They weren't pursuing righteousness. They were pursuing his destruction. Their their question was designed to trap and control and destroy, not serve. And so Jesus says, okay, show me the money. Well, he doesn't really say that. He says, show me a denarius, but sounds like it. Now notice how easily they were able to produce one. (laughs) However offensive this inscription was to them, it wasn't offensive enough to keep them from possessing a few. (laughs) And you start getting the feeling that their problem wasn't so much with the coin itself, it was so much giving the coin to someone they didn't want to give it. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, whose image does it have on it? Because in addition to the inscription calling his father divine, it had a picture of the current Caesar. Now you can imagine the confusion that this conversation starts to take the very Uh, moment he says this. This is not where they saw the conversation going. And as they respond with the answer that everybody knew, they wonder, what's Jesus getting at here? And then he tells them. He says, then give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And what he's saying is this. Look, that coin came from Rome from Caesar and his, and his government. And in a very real sense, it belongs to him and to his government. You're just using it. Basically, he's saying if somebody's image is stamped on something, it's an expression of ownership. Now, you might squabble with this thinking, that's no, my money's my money, it's not the government's. Well, yes, that's true to an extent. But your savings is probably held in U.S. dollars, which are only good in the U.S. You can't just go anywhere in the world. It's issued and it's backed by the U.S. Treasury. And that's why it bears the images of our founding fathers on it. Jesus is simply saying, if this money was was minted by the Roman government, and if they demand some of it back, then that's their right. And the point is driven home by the different words he uses that are used for give in verses 22 and 25. 
in verse 22, the spies ask if it's lawful to give to Caesar, assuming that what is given originates with and is solely owned by them. Jesus, on the other hand, uses a different verb in verse 25. He says, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, Jesus is saying, you don't have anything in your pocket that didn't first come from Rome. And if you give back some, what's the problem? But you know that Jesus isn't done. He never is at a point like this. He's he's always going to take us a little bit deeper. He's just getting warmed up. He says, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So what is God's? Well, if you follow the logic, he's going to say, what is stamped with God's image? Because that belongs to God. Anything stamped with his image is rightfully his and must be brought back to him. Now, we know the answer. It's unavoidable. You, you are stamped with God's image. That's what makes you unique in creation. The spies that stand before Jesus know this as well. They knew their scriptures. Their whole lives then belonged to God. But their righteousness was just an act. Their concern with his word was a facade. They were not doing what he commands. Basically, Jesus is saying, why are you more worried about a coin than you are about your life? Now, they might have been flattering Jesus, but they were right. He does always speak the truth. And he does show no partiality. He does not live in the fear of man. And so here's Jesus' truth bomb. They are made in God's image. And their lives are his. And their allegiance rightly belongs to him and to no other but they weren't living for God. They weren't keeping his law. They honored him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. And while their lives were rightfully his, they were holding them back in selfishness. That's the real problem. That's the real scandal in our passage, not taxes. but that they were living in rebellion to their creator to whom they owed everything. What could be worse than that? Almost nothing. Almost. There is one thing worse. In verse 20, we're told that their goal, their desire, their aim, was to hand Jesus over to the governor. Now, that's a problem simply on the face of it. The governor represents Caesar. Uh, These leaders claim to hate the Roman authorities, but here they are seeking to hand one of their own over to him. They, They knew that they had no legitimate charges against him, and so they are attempting to trap him or to invent something. They are perverting justice. They're colluding with the Roman government. They are seeking to murder an innocent man. We don't need to go very deep to find problems with their plan. But what happens when we do go deep? 
Because while it's true that all humans are made in the image of God, we are told that we're specifically made in the image of the Son of God. We saw that in our Declaration of Pardon from Romans 8 this morning. We, we read it in our, 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 uh, our call to worship that Jesus is, is the image of the invisible God. Now, without getting too deep into the weeds, that, that could be a sermon in and of itself. Simply what he's saying is this. There could be no better, better view of who God is than in the incarnation, God becoming man in Jesus Christ. John says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. God reveals himself in all of us by imprinting his image on us. But in each of us, that that image is, is clouded through our sin, but not so in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we see the image of God perfectly. And what do the leaders want to do with that image? They want to hand it over to the governor, a representative of Caesar. They want to render to Caesar what is God's. In order to save their people, at least their vision for the people, they want to lay their hands on Jesus and like a sacrifice, offer him up in tribute to Caesar. They claim to detest offering tribute to him, but here they are doing far worse than paying taxes. They are offering up the Son of God, the very image of God, to Caesar. But Jesus isn't going to stop them. Because at this moment, he could call down heaven, heaven, all of heaven's angels to protect him. He could, with the snap of his fingers, make this all stop, make it all go away. But he won't. He will allow them to lay hands on him and hand him over to Caesar's representatives. He is offering up his life, not in tribute to Caesar. It was the very mission he had received from the Father to stand in our place, life for life, image for image. His human body bearing the image of the invisible God was given back to the Father in order to save us. And the question is, what could be more fitting? Every Sunday, week after week, we are reminded of the tribute he rendered on our behalf. The Lord's Supper before us is meant to remind us that that what we are reading about in Luke's Gospel is not a bedtime story. It's not the invention of man. It's not distant and it's not safe. As surely as you hold the bread and drink and the cup in your hand, Jesus suffered and died at the hands of Roman soldiers. But it's also meant to remind you of your calling. You are made in the image of God. And you rightly belong to the one in whose image you were made, who gave you life. Rendering to God what is God's means offering yourself up as a living sacrifice to the one who gave you life. Acknowledging that your life is his to do with as he would. And so my prayer is this morning as as we partake of this meal, this gift, 
as you come to this table, that you would remember that the one who willingly offered himself up in tribute to the Father now lives in you. And when the enemy tempts you to live for yourself, may you remember that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So I'd like to invite Dave up as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper this morning. Father, we want to be more like Jesus, renewed after, conformed to his image. Far too often we serve ourselves instead of you. We offer up our lives to our own comfort, pleasure, and desires. Help us to see that we are made in your image for your glory. Help us to recognize that our lives are rightfully yours to do with as you will. Amen.